need to see ourselves as belonging to the body of Christ. Jesus paid too big of a price for you to try to do life on your own. Can I get an amen? He was never intended for you to do life on, his, on your own. You belong here. The first thing you get right into it on your notes on the back of that worship guide is simply this. The local church is the hope of the world. The local church is the hope of the world. Now, I know automatically some of you are going to say, wait a minute. I, I, now you, you say this is the hope of the world. I thought Jesus was. Of course Jesus is. But let me tell you something. It is the local church. It is not just this church. I'm talking about the local church. It was God's idea of how he was going to use this thing called the gathering of believers to reveal his heart, to, to move on people, to be his hands and to be his feet. How many of those Jesus doesn't come down in bodily form and give us a hug when we're going through? something bad come on he doesn't shake our hand and welcome us but he he challenges us to do that in his name can i get an amen even the bible says give and it shall be given it shall be given back to you press down good measure running to go running over but then it says shall other men give back to you so in other words the lord said i, I even use people to bless you how many knows god uses people to to bless his people the local church is the hope of the world. Now, you've heard me say this many times in previous messages, and I'll probably be saying this to the day I die, because one of the most impactful ministers and authors that I ever read was the late Dr. Miles Monroe. Changed my life. His revelation of the kingdom and his revelation of purpose and worship and prayer is on a level that not many humans has ever been able to, to receive. And one of the things he said about purpose, is, and, I, and we quote it all the time, is whenever purpose is unknown, abuse is inevitable. I'm going to say it again. Where purpose is unknown of anything, it is inevitable that we will abuse that thing. Because if we don't know why that thing was created, we'll try to make that thing to do things that it is not capable of doing. I've always used the example of a key. We take a key and we'll get aggravated because we're going to be in a situation where something needs to be pried off and we don't have a screwdriver or we don't have anything else, so we take our key. How many's ever used a key as a crowbar? Come on, somebody. Let's just be real. And we start prying that thing and all of a sudden you say, oh, it's pretty good. I, I, I was pretty smart for doing this. I didn't need a screwdriver. And all of a sudden the key bends and then sometimes it even breaks. What do we do? We get mad. We throw the key across the room. We fuss at the key we're like what am i gonna do now and the key if the key could talk it would scream back at you wait a minute i was not created to do that you are asking me to do something that it is not within my development by my creator to do that key has a purpose is to crank a car or open the door it is not to pry something open so when that is the case, when you understand where purpose is unknown, abuse is inevitable. If you don't know the purpose of the church, you will abuse the church. And if you don't know your purpose in the church, you will use the church to abuse people. Are you hearing me? So the church has abused people over the years and people have abused the church over the years because they have forgotten or maybe they never even really knew what the purpose of the church is. Are you hearing me? We live in an epidemic problem now where people are leaving the church by droves because they have forgotten the purpose of the church. But God has always wanted us to meet together. He's always wanted us to worship together. He's always wanted us to gather together. In fact, there's a warning in Hebrews chapter 10, which is not too far ahead of when he starts talking about in Hebrews chapter, uh, he talks about the faith chapter in 11, but then in chapter 12, he talks about in the last days, there's going to be a great shaking that everything that can be shaken will be shaken until that can, which cannot be shaken shall remain. We preached a whole series on it called the unshakable kingdom. But right before that, he says, listen, if you want to be able to handle that shaking that is coming, as CJ said earlier, trials are coming, hard times are coming. If you want to be able to weather the storm, listen to what he said in Hebrews 10, 25. Let us not neglect our meeting together. That's an admonition. That's encouraging us to meet together. But then we see a rebuke. He says, as some people do. In other words, he's, he's saying it's, it's not a good thing that people have been forsaking the assembling of themselves together. Because when the thing starts shaking and when the sifting process starts happening, 
You're going to need people in your life. Are you with me, church? But listen to what he goes on to say. But encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near or the day of his return is approaching. Can I tell you something? In other words, he says, as we get closer to the end times, as we get closer to the return of Jesus. Listen, this ain't some nursery rhyme. We either believe the Bible or we don't. Okay, and the Bible says that when, when, he was, when he was ascending to heaven right after being resurrected and everybody's looking up like this, listen to the words of the angel. Why stand you gazing up as he is leaving? For in like manner as he has gone away, so shall he come again. Amen. How many believes that one day when the Father says it's time, Jesus is coming back? But he tells us before that ever happens, it's going to be rough times. He, all through Scripture, Old and New Testament tells us about that final generation. Wars and rumors of wars, pestilence, earthquakes in diverse places. There'll be a great falling away. The enemy will even deceive the very elect. But he says, but wait a minute. As, as you see that day approaching, you should gather together even more. Because you're going to face some things that you are not going to be able to face on your own. Many of you know uh, that, that my uncle, my mother's youngest brother, was killed this week in a car wreck. Today is his funeral. He was, he was the youngest of, of eight brothers and sisters, and they were all alive. And he was the baby, and nobody dreamed he would ever be the first to go. And he was killed by a drunk driver right in front of my house this week. Drunk driver at 1130 in the morning. Already drunk and high on crack cocaine or something. Came across the, and killed my uncle. And I'll tell you something. Last night we gathered as a, together as a family and an extended family and friends. And I remember standing there. Seeing people I hadn't seen in 25 and 30 years. Ain't it sad that that's usually the only time we see people that long? But at the same time, I, I don't rebuke it. I'm thankful for it. Because, I, because everybody that came up was saying the same thing. I love you. My church is praying for you. Larry, if you need me, going around to my mama's brothers and sisters praying for you. The church was alive and well. And I remember thinking, man, how? I was telling the leader uh, earlier in the church today, he was coming up to him and talking to him about it. And he just went through a horrible tragedy himself, you know, and experienced and walking through this. We were talking about how in the world do people go through things like this without the church? How in the world do you, you endure the pain on your own? Because if you try to seek answers on Google, man, you, that's not a good place. Huh? I have a headache. What does that mean? You are dying of brain cancer in 24 hours. You try to, you try to do a Google search on the church. The relevance of the church in the first 150 to 200 responses you're going to get online is making fun of the church, mocking the church, trying to, atheists trying to tell you that, that we all believe a nursery rhyme. But you know what? It's amazing to me. I could start over here with Brandon on the front row, and I could whisper something in his ear, and I say, I want you to tell Ray, and then Ray tells Sue, and then Sue starts telling, and it goes through every single person. And by the time we got over, if I started out saying, man, I'm so hungry, I'm getting me a cheeseburger today. By the time it got over there, Richard would be saying, Pastor said he's, he's going to fast cheeseburgers for 24 hours, and then he's going on a diet, and he hates cheeseburgers. He's renouncing them. Huh? How many, knows, how many knows what I'm talking about? A story gets so twisted. But yet, you want to make fun of the church, make fun of the Bible? It's the only book that has survived intact for thousands and thousands and thousands of years. While everyone else has died and gone on, the Word of God in the church is still alive. There are many people today that think they can receive God in their life, and they have received God in their life, and they love the Lord, but they have 
grow. They, they say to themselves that they believe they can grow spiritually even greater outside of the local church because now they can watch us on live stream or they can listen to a podcast or they can meet God on the lake or they can meet God on the golf course or they can meet God in the movie theaters. I'm not saying that God cannot touch you there. I'm not saying that God cannot use you there. I'm not saying that God does not want you time have time with your family and relax. But I'm going to tell you something right now. There is nothing like gathering with the believers in-house. There is nothing that could ever come this way. This is what they were doing for thousands of years before this technology ever existed. They were able to endure uh, murders, martyrs' death, crucifixions, being boiled in oil, nailed to trees, dipped in tar, set on fire, chopped into pieces. They went through all of that. And the church grew stronger because they were in it together. Let me tell you something. If you're trying to do a relationship with God outside of the church, your relationship with God, not questioning it, not questioning it, but I'm telling you, it will never be on a growing place. It will be on a steady, slow decline. Because here's what happens when you're not a part of a local church. You begin to interpret situations in scripture without any accountability in your life and you begin to make the word of God say what you want it to say to match your lifestyle there's a phenomenon happening in the United States where more and more believers are forsaking the, lo the local organized church in favor of alternative systems of private worship that consider themselves, they consider themselves a truer, even truer expression of the biblical church. And they bash the local church in the process. However, upon close examination of this new wave of what is known as how people are perceiving church, these things that they have said, this is how I have church, miss several things they're missing several key parts of the local church number one on your next thing on your notes is this the local church was designed by god to be his distribution center the local church was designed by god to be the kingdom distribution center See, in other words, what I mean is that there are things that grow and cultivate in the local church that are meant to be sent out the Bible tells us in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11, that he gave gifts unto men, to the church, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers, for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry. In other words, these gifts were to be raised up and used within the body of Christ. We are supposed to gather just like you are right now. Do you know what I'm doing right now? I'm equipping you for the work of the ministry. I'm equipping you for the work of the ministry. The most important part of your Christian walk with God, don't take this the wrong way, is not this moment. The mo this is important. But the most important moment, you've been commissioned by God to go into all the world and preach the gospel. But listen, you don't know fully how to go into all the world and preach the gospel without being equipped. You are discipled and you are equipped within the body of Christ. The church is supposed to be the launching pad. Churches duplicate, they plant other churches, they raise up ministers, and they send them out. The local church, you may not know this, go study your history, and you'll find that it was the church who created the first ever hospitals anywhere in the world. In fact, to this day, 90% of every hospital in every major city is ran by the church. To this day, 90%. They may not have the name, with a, a, a religious name anymore, they changed the name, but when you go and you get into the in, inner works of it, you know that the church is funding it. Do you understand? They did that because Jesus said to the body of Christ, to the church, it, once you do until the least of these, you've done it unto me. When they're sick, pray for them, but even beyond that, take care of them. So the, the hospitals are a result of the local church. Go study it. And I'm telling you right now, 100% is fact. The government didn't start the hospitals. Businesses didn't start the hospitals. The church did. 
The church also, the local church, read scriptures like study to show yourself approved unto God. Come on, somebody. Rightly dividing the word of truth. A workman need not to be ashamed. Come on, do you hear me? So they read that, and they, t- they, they took commands from the word of God to study, and it was the church, not, the, not the, even the community, not the government. It was the church that created something called the education system. The very first schools that ever existed started in the churches. Huh? They didn't just teach the Bible. They they taught math. They They taught science. They taught all of that in the church. You go study the history of our major universities. And almost every major university that is over 100 years old were all started by the local church. And many of them were started by pastors. You may be shocked to know that some of the most anti-God, anti-religious speech places in the world, which is a part of the Ivy League system, the Harvards, the Yales, the, the Brown Universities, uh, you name it, all of them, because they were some of the oldest universities in the country. When you go to their campuses, it's shocking that they're still there. There are monuments with Scripture on them because all of the, uh, all of the Ivy League schools, every single one of them was started and created by a pastor to be a seminary to train young men to be evangelists and pastors but also equip them to work in the common world that we are in so the university system the education system the hospitalization system were all created by the church the church is the one that has changed the world But now we're allowing the world to change the church. The church is the place where we have a specific promised encounter with God when we come together. Next thing on your notes is this. The local church is a place of a special manifestation of His presence. The local church is a place of a special manifestation of His presence. No, I'm not saying you can't feel God in your house, my Lord. I felt God in my house so many times. I fell out and, I mean, I laid in the carpet in my house, prayed in the Holy Ghost many times. I've, I've went down the road when the Holy Spirit had, I had to pull off the street. I was so drunk in the Holy Ghost. Amen. You can feel God anywhere. But I'm telling you right now, the Word of God says in Matthew 18, 20, where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there in the midst of them i know he's in your house i know he's omnipresent come on but when we come together there's something special about when we sing together there's something special when we praise together there's just something special when we all bow our heads and pray for one another it's a special anointing that you can't get on the lake man you can't get this on the golf course you can't get this just doing fun things. There ain't nothing wrong with doing fun things. I'm just telling you, we don't need to negate the importance of this moment. See, what's, what's the difference? Nobody sing. Nobody sing. Don't say nothing. Let me sing by myself, okay? I have to say that because some of y'all love to sing so much. The moment I start singing, y'all start singing. I love that about y'all. Nobody sing. Listen to this. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound. Now, I'm no Austin Cruz, but I, I, that was pretty good, right? All right. Now, watch this. Let's all sing it together. Keep going. Now, now, watch this. It's different, ain't it? It's different. When you, when you hear somebody sitting right next to you singing, it's different. 
Makes you feel like, okay, I can't carry a tune in my bucket, but, but he can cover me, praise God. She can cover me, amen. When you, when you get together in his presence, he says, just make a joyful noise. You don't have to be able to have the talent, the, uh, the gift to sing on the stage, but we want you to feel comfortable to sing unto the Lord a new song. You can do it in the house of God. Hallelujah. Listen to what Ephesians chapter 2, verse, verses 20 and 22 says about corporate worship. Having been built on the foundation, talking about the church, the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone of the church in which the whole building is being fit together, grows into a holy temple into the Lord, unto the Lord, in whom you also are being built together. Somebody shout together. For a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. We're all parts of the body of Christ. I'm going to tell you what it really means. It means, how many knows the Bible says one can chase a thousand demons and two can chase ten thousand demons? Let me tell you what that means. That means that when you show up and you come in agreement, you magnify the encounter that someone else is having with God. You didn't hear what I just said. I mean what I'm trying to say. While you are worshiping God and receiving from God, you don't even realize it. Something supernatural is happening. Your worship with your brothers and sisters coming out of your mouth, even though you're one person, begins to affect the freedom of other people around you. You ever got up on a Sunday morning and sick and you're just like, I don't know if I'm going to make it to church today. I just don't know if I can make it. But you push through, and I'm telling you what, even in the parking lot, you're like, oh, God, I, I got to go home. I got to go home. I, or maybe it's just aggravated. Have you ever had, ever had a fuss and a fight before church with your family on Sunday mornings? I probably should say, have you, have you ever not had a fuss and a fight on Sunday morning before church? Especially when you got small children trying to get them ready. But here's the reality. Something changes when you step in the house and the worship is going on. All of a sudden, you start feeling better. All of a sudden, you start getting in a better mood. All of a sudden, you don't want to kill your kids. Praise God. You love them again. You always loved them, but now you want to lay hands on them in love. So your worship is key. Corporately, to someone else receiving something from God. When you think, I'm not, I'm not on any kind of team, I, I'm, I'm just brand new to this, I, I don't even hardly know, I don't know any scripture, I'm not qualified to anything. Let me tell you something, this is the power of the church. When you just come, just your presence. When you're just here, I'm talking about all you got to do, you ain't got to raise your hands, you ain't got to dance, you ain't got, but if you're just here and you just begin to worship God, no matter how unqualified you think you are, something supernatural in the house of God begins to happen just because you are here. Next thing on your notes is this, the local church is where a person is discipled. This is where you're discipled. You can get good teaching from a podcast, but you cannot be discipled by a podcast. You know, this is going to mess some people up when you hear me say this. You can't be discipled just by reading the Bible. Some people say, well, as long as I read the Bible, that's all that matters. Listen, you need to read the Bible every day of your life. But you are, Jesus said, go into all the world and make disciples. In other words, he was trying to say, it is a process that happens within the body of Christ. Through teaching, what I'm doing right now. You're being discipled right now. So you need them both. You need personal reading. You need personal time with God. But you need to be a part of a church where you can be taught the Word of God. Where, you can, where it can become illuminated. That, that all of a sudden, have you ever had a moment, not, maybe not today or another day, but have you ever had a moment been in a church, whether it's this church or another church, and he, the pastor is preaching on a, on a message that you have read before, and all of a sudden you go, my God, I've never seen that before. And it, and it just impacts your life. That's the power of preaching. In the local church. Acts chapter 2, verse 42 is right after Pentecost. This was the beginning of the church. This is how they grew. 
It says they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in the breaking of bread and in prayers. They stayed together. It would have made so much sense in the natural to run. Their lives were in danger. They were being told by the Roman Empire that if they preached Jesus, they was going to be killed. That's why they were afraid. Even when Jesus was dead, his body laid in the tomb, they were hiding out of fear of their own life. But Jesus comes in, shows himself resurrected, and says, listen, it's important for y'all to stay together. In fact, right before, after 40 days of walking around a resurrected body, right before he went to heaven, he says, listen, this is one of the last things he says to them. I need all of you to go together to Jerusalem. And I need you to gather in one place. And I need you to pray. And I need you to wait. And do not leave till you shall receive the promise of the Father. In other words, he commanded them, what I want to send to you, I need you to be together when I send it. With each other. Can I get an amen? amen? See, Jesus gave gifts unto men, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers in the local church for the equipping of the saints. I love, I love this. There's a man, there's a Christian uh, historian, one of the first ever Christian historians named Justin Martyr, who lived between A.D. 100 and A.D. 165. Somewhere in that area, which would have been the first generation of the local church, would have been right after the generation after the church had been birthed in Acts chapter 2. Because you no, know, the temple was destroyed in AD 70. Jesus died and was resurrected somewhere around AD 30. So this is not long after the resurrection. The church is as new as it can, can be. And watch what this historian says. I'm going to read a quote. This is an actual historical document from his writings about the first ever church. Quote, And on a day called Sunday, all who live in the cities or in the country gather together. Somebody say together. together. Gather together in one place. And read the memoirs, is the word he used, which means the letters and gospels, memoirs of the apostles, or they read and listened to the writings of the prophets. And as they are read, as long as time permits, that's so funny when I read that, I'm thinking even in AD 100, the preacher still haven't asked, can I, can I have five more minutes? Five more minutes, give me five more minutes. <laughs> praise God. I mean, they was, they, they, even then they was coughing and looking at their watch, praise God. It says literally, as time permits. Then, listen, when the reader had ceased, and I love this, they called, they called the pastor the president. This is what he said. The president, because they didn't really even understand how to un understand this new organization called the church. He says, so when the reader had ceased, the president or the pastor verbally would instruct and exhort to the people to imitate these things. In other words, in A.D. 100, he recorded being a part of a church service where people were still being persecuted for their faith, was gathering together to hear the readings of the letters that were only, some of them, 20, 30, 40, 60 years old. There were handwritten copies. How many of those? There was no printing press. There was no way for somebody to make a copy. So if they had something to read, it was because somebody had must, uh, just... just it, it, it handwritten every word upon word and they would read it they would read what paul did they would read what paul said and then he would say now go do what paul did now go do and imitate paul go imitate paul go imitate peter go imitate come on y'all here go imitate jesus jesus said these works shall you do and greater shall you do if i go to my father but it was the local church that launched this. It was a local gathering of people that made this happen. The, some of the benefits of a local church and preaching by a pastor. Isn't it interesting that nowhere in Scripture, nowhere in Scripture, even though I understand, it's, it's, I understand what you're saying when you say, I feel like the Lord led me to Solid Rock, I feel like the Lord led me to a particular church. Isn't it interesting that nowhere in Scripture does He ever promise to lead you to a local group of people? But it does say in Scripture, I will lead you to a pastor. That's what it says in Jeremiah. He says, I, this is God's will. Nowhere in Scripture says, I'll lead you to a particular church. If he leads you to that church, it is because he has led you to the vision of that pastor, and you need to be equipped by that pastor. 
whether it's this church or another church. So he says, I will give you pastors and they will feed you. It's what Jeremiah said. So, so I understand it's, that it's okay and it's biblically correct to say, I feel like the Lord led me here. I feel like, but, what, but what you're really saying is, I feel like the Lord has led me here to be discipled. Am I preaching good? The local church will increase your faith, enable spiritual growth, renew your mind, correct you, and protect you. Give you prophetic guidance and give you the needed inspiration that you have to fight the devil. I don't know about you, but there's been Sundays that if I didn't get what I got on Sunday, I would not be able to face the devils I had to face on Monday. Let me tell you something about one, one quick thing. Tell you this story. One of my favorite preachers of all time, mentor of my life, thank God wrote the forward of my book. I couldn't believe it when he did. I was so honored. Perry Stone. Perry Stone told a story many years ago about in the early 90s when the Chinese government had increased their persecution on the underground church. You understand what I mean by underground church? Not necessarily that they were underground, but the secret church. You know, we have, we, we are, we're under persecution here in this country, but guess what? There was, we didn't have to sneak to get in here to worship God today. So we ought to be thankful for the fact that we live in a country that we have the freedom to worship God openly and freely. Because you better cherish it because they're coming after it. If you don't know it, they're coming after this freedom. It's not going to get easier. It's going to get harder to do what I'm doing today. We're going to need each other more than we ever have. This Chinese church, little group of people meeting in this secret and disclosed location, had a Chinese pastor. He had a Bible. Somehow he got a Bible. And they would preach in secret, and somehow it got out where they were. And the Chinese military came in and stormed this underground church and arrested the whole church. But they started with the pastor because they wanted to make a, a, a show of the pastor, an example of him in front of, in front of his people. They beat him right in front of his people, mocked his God, mocked our God. And as they were pulling him out, he was not let go of his Bible. He was holding on to his Bible for all his life. They kept trying to pull his Bible out of his hand. He would not let go of the Bible. And his church was crying and praying for him. Another soldier came over. Perry said, he tells this story because he met this pastor years later, and the pastor told him, as they're pulling on that Bible, he did not want to let it go. He was able to grab one page out of that Bible, and they ripped that Bible out of his hand, and that, that page ripped out, and he quickly bottled it up and stuck it in his pocket as they burned the Bible. And they pulled him off, and somehow this Chinese pastor was able to take that little ball of paper, one sheet of paper. He had no idea what even page of the Bible it was and passed it off to someone to keep it in secret until he got out of prison. When he got out of prison, this pastor went and found that page, not even knowing what was on it. And he began to preach from that one page. And for over 10 years, for over 10 years, this pastor told Perry, every time they came together, because nobody had a Bible. He preached from one page of a Bible for over 10 years. And the church grew. And the church planted other churches. And they ministered. And they saw miracles. What page was? I have no idea. It didn't matter what page it was. Because every page is alive. But what made it possible is they decided nothing is going to stop us from being together. We are going to come together and we are going to worship God no matter what the government says. They can turn off our YouTube channel. They can turn off our Facebook channel. They can mock us and ridicule us. They can tell us that we can't pray at a football game and we'll pray louder than we've ever prayed. I got news for you. The church is not dead. The church is alive. And I'm telling you what they're doing. They're waking the sleeping giant, baby. The church is about to stand up and be the church again. Somebody praise him right now. Somebody praise him for the church. Hallelujah. Woo. Thank God for the church. Somebody shout, thank God for the church. Listen, going to church don't make you a Christian any more than, than standing in the garage makes you a, an F-150. Come on, somebody. 
I'm not saying because you're in a church you're a Christian. You need to have a relationship with God. But man, I need you. I need you, and I'm not new, so you need me. We need each other. Hmm. I got 12 minutes, and I'm going to use it. You give me 13 minutes, I'll take it. The next thing on your notes is this. The local church is a place of united worship. United worship. Psalm 133 says, Beloved, how beautiful it is when the brethren dwell together in unity. Huh? It's just something about unity. The walls of Jerusalem had been torn down. The book of Nehemiah talks about they had been burned to the ground. And they had been burned and knocked down for so long. You ever saw that show, Life After People? You ever seen that show? It's, how many of you ever seen Life After People? You know what I'm talking about? You ever, those that have seen it, when you drive by houses now that have been abandoned, do you do like I do? I look over and I go, my God, it's Life After People. I do that all the time. I say that all the time. Because Life After People is a show that simulates what it would be like if all of humanity, and isn't that strange, suddenly disappeared. I think that's, a, that's a, almost like a mock of the rapture because we know everybody's not going to disappear at that time. Those that, those that are believers are going to disappear. But, but it shows what if humanity just disappeared? What would happen to all our structures? And it shows how quickly the, the earth would take things back. Are y'all hearing me? Now watch this. I don't even know what I was talking about. What was I talking about? I just lost my track of it. My God, that's, it was going to be so good. Pastor, you ever been there? You ever been there? You had a point. You was about to blow people's mind, and you got on a rabbit trail, and you can't get back. <laughs> Why was I talking about life after people? Final answer? I don't know. <laughs> I totally lost it. I was going. Listen, I was when I got right here. I was like, two two more words, and it's going to change your life. Does it make you feel good that your pastor's human? I know what's going to happen. I know exactly what's going to happen. I'm going to get in the car, and I'm headed home today. And I'm going to go, oh, God, that was it. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to email blast all y'all. Yeah, that's right. That's old age, brother. It's old age. Will y'all just look at me and tell me it's okay? Thank you, thank you. That's why I need the church. I need the church in times like this. Throughout Scripture, <laughs> we are told to praise God together. My God, it was so good, y'all. I'm telling you. Psalms 35, 18 says, I will give you thanks in the great assembly. I will praise you among many people. Psalm 111 11 says this. 111 1 says, praise the Lord. I will praise you with my whole heart in the assembly of the upright in the congregation. Psalm 134, 2 says, lift up your hands in the sanctuary and bless the Lord. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, uh, 2 verse 12 says, I will declare your name to my brethren in the midst of the assembly. I will sing praise to you. When we come together, there's something about it. Oh, I remember. I remember. Thank you, Jesus. See, if y'all had been taking notes, y'all would have wrote down Nehemiah, and then y'all could have said Nehemiah, and I would have remembered. Nehemiah. When Nehemiah's the walls was down, you ever seen that show, Life After People? It was, it was just like Life After People. The Bible said that the weeds had overtaken the walls. To where you couldn't even see evidence that the house of God, that the city of God ever even existed. And when you, re listen, when you remove the place of gathering from the heart of a people that have always gathered, you remove their hope. 
you remove their hope for a better life. And the Bible says the people of Israel were dejected and depressed. They had bought into false gods. But God spoke to Nehemiah and said, you're going to go back and rebuild those walls. And listen, watch what happened. When he found the word of God, they found a scroll that had been hidden. They called it the law. There was an entire generation who had never heard the reading of the words of God. So when they found out that they had found it, they called, listen, an assembly. They told everyone who is desperate to hear what God is saying to meet us in the streets. This is in the book of Nehemiah. In the midst of life after people. There was, a, there was a generation of kids that their parents would talk about how it used to be. And it had been so long. The kids couldn't even fathom what it would feel like to be in a safe environment. But to be within the walls of the city. To be able to worship God freely. But they were hungry. Not only to come together. But they were hungry to hear what God had to say. And the Bible said every single man, every single woman, and every single child showed up for church. Woo! See, pe- preachers talk all the time. It was one of the first things preachers say to each other. Hey, man, how's your church going? How many are you running? What's up, Doc? That's what they say. Preachers don't, don't understand that one. What's up, Doc? How many are you running? Oh, look, it's on my nerves. As they want to equate how many you run. And, here, and here, here's how preachers usually respond. Well... When everybody comes, this is how many we got that call Solid Rock their home or whatever church home. But everybody don't come every Sunday, so we average about this on Sundays, but, but we claim this many. Because very seldom in most local churches does everybody show up at the same time. But on that day, can you imagine, preachers, every single person showed up. Why? Because they had lived a life for so long where they didn't get to hear this. They had taken it for granted, and now they wanted to go back to the ways it used to be. And as they began to read, they read for hours. And the Bible said, the people never left and never got tired. And at the end of reading the law, many of them had never heard it before in their life. And they only heard it because they all came together to hear one person speak it. The Bible says in Nehemiah chapter 8, go back and study. It says the people fell to their knees and began to praise God. And the Bible said, and they all said, amen, as one man. The Bible said the masses, which was hundreds of thousands of people, appeared in the spirit realm as one voice and one man. Unity. Unity. Now, each one of them could have done it on their own, but when they came together, it created such a sense of encouragement to go from darkness into light. All of a sudden, the Bible said, when they came together and worshiped together, go back and read it. The Bible said, and then the people had a mind to work. They worked for what? You know, thank God to work for a job, but to work for the kingdom. They went to Nehemiah and said, what do you need me to do to rebuild the old waste places? And they began to rebuild. There wasn't just a story to them anymore. They came back to the way they used to be, and they rebuilt the walls. So much so that the Bible said, as, and they, they, they finally got to the place. This is another thing that church does for you. It gets the eyes, gets your eyes off of you only, and you begin to think about your brothers and your sisters. Come here, Austin. Come up here again. Get up here. Get up here. You thought you'd go three pews back and I'd stop you. Get up here, quickly. I'm going I'm to do it even harder this time, son. I'm going to make you a man, boy. Come, get up here. No, just kidding. Watch this. The Bible said they had a mind to work. And on the top of the walls, they, bought the, 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 they said the workers in one hand had a hammer and the other hand had a sword. In other words, they're building, but they're protecting their family. Come on, somebody. They're building, but they're protecting the church. That's what being a faithful member of the local body is. You can build things for your own life, build things for your own family, but it's not about you only anymore. Now you're looking out, making sure that the people that might not be where you're at yet, are protected. 
Now, now, we're going to call him a soldier of the Lord. How you feel? Feel good? Feel good? You feel good? Feel good about a soldier of the Lord? Have you got the armor of God on you? That means you got a ball cap of righteousness, I mean of salvation. He's got the helmet of salvation. The, the Bible tells us in the book of Ephesians, he's got his chest covered, the breastplate of righteousness. He's got a shield, and he's got a sword. He's got a belt that holds it all together called the, the, uh, the belt of, uh, of, of truth. His feet and his legs are covered with the preparation of the gospel of peace. He's ready to go to battle unless he does this. Because when he does this, the armor of God was, was the illustration of the armor of God was based on the armor that, only, that they knew at that time, which was the Roman armor. And the Roman armor had all that that we said, but on the backside of a Roman was nothing but leather straps. If you ran or you turned your back in the fight to the fight, you were as good as dead. You ever heard the term, I got your back? Let me tell you what that means. It comes all the way from the times of the Bible. Here's what it means. This is how a Roman soldier would fight. They would lock arms. And in the lock arm place, they would put their shield. Get your shield up, son. Come on. I'm trying to teach you how to fight. Get your shield up. In the other hand, they had their sword. And they fought back to back in the midst of hand-to-hand combat. So that whenever they were fighting, they, no matter what would come. See, see, this guy right here said, don't you worry. You fight on what's coming. Don't worry about what's going to sneak up on you behind you because I got your back. Amen. That's what the body of Christ is supposed to be, man. We're supposed to be hooked up. We're supposed to be hooked up. So no matter what battle we're going in, I'm going to see if he run backwards. I'm going to see if he run backwards. Can you run backwards? Can you run backwards? Huh? Get up on your feet and praise God for the church. For the church. Somebody say, we're in this together. Look at somebody say, I got your back. I got your back. The last thing, and you can write it down later. I want you to stay standing. Is the local church is a place of fellowship. Listen, man. We got to get to a place where doing life together is not a cliche. It needs to really mean something. I want to encourage you have friends in this church. Be careful to guard yourself against cliques and circles that are impenetrable by other people who need what you have. You've got to understand it is not about you. Thank God that you've got friends that are close to you, you need close friends. But you've got to leave a door open. Because we can't just be a place where you've found life with someone else, but yet someone standing right next to you wants what you have, but we won't let them in. Next week is Rock Group Rally Day. If there's ever been a time in the history of this church that you need to push through, make yourself push through your 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 questions of being unqualified, your personality type, well, I'm, I'm just a private person. I don't really do things like that. You need to push through all of that. And you need to realize, in order for you to be who God has called you to be, you've got to find some people to do life with in this house. Because the local church is not just about Pastor Larry preaching. That is about that much of it. Ask people that join our church. Ask people who join our, our leadership team. When I have time to sit down and talk to him, I say, when you first visited our church, what did, you, what did you experience? Why did you come back? Well, this is what I always hear. Number one things I always hear. I've never felt so much love and welcome in my life. From the parking lot when I got out, I've never been welcomed and loved in the parking lot. When I got in the foyer, I was loved and welcomed again. When I got to checking my babies, I was loved and welcomed again. When I come into the house, I was loved and welcomed again. And then some of them will say, and I really enjoyed your preaching. I really enjoyed the worship. That's why they came back for a couple of Sundays. But absolutely, without fail, number one response to this question is always the same. So I appreciate that you love my preaching. I appreciate that you love the worship. I appreciate you love the, the sanctuary, the facilities, and all the things. What made you stay? What made you decide? To no longer just receive, but start giving back to others what you experienced when you came. 
And I love it. I love it. I love it. No one has ever said it was your preaching. I love it. In the history of our church, no one has ever said, I stayed because I love your preaching. Not one. And I love it. Very few, if any, have ever said, I stayed because of the worship team. But without fail, I hear this, or some, some version of this. I decided to join this church and decided to plant my family and put roots down here because of the people in this house. And sometimes they'll name other people specifically what they meant to them in their life. Let me tell you, that's church. That was God's idea. That's called breaking bread. That's called going house to house, doing life together. This is not house to house. This is the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry. I know you're busy. I know you got softball and baseball and soccer. And I know you got work. And I know you got school. And I know you got studying. But take one night off from Netflix. And go spend a couple of hours. Maybe an hour. At a bowling alley with someone. At a restaurant. At a movie theater. At a birthday party. At a funeral. At a wedding. Show up. Just show up. And let me tell you something. It will mean more to that person than you ever knew. But beyond that, it will do something in you. It will give you a sense of a connection. It will help you put roots down. I don't know, the service is blurred, so I don't know if I said this in this service or not, but I want to tell you something about a tree. He said, he said that you'll be like, he wants you to be like a tree planted by the living water. Now, what, why he wants you to be like a tree? Because when you're planted, there's roots. And, and so, so how, how are y'all enjoying this fall weather right now? You know it's fall, right? But that was a joke. But it is actually fall. But in a few weeks, the leaves are going to start falling because they're dead. Probably not because it's cold weather, but not long, just like this in Alabama, one day we'll show up and we'll be freezing. And we'll look out at our trees and everything will be gray and all the leaves will be gone. And we'll know we're about to go into winter. Now the tree knows moving into winter. So it sheds its leaves. So there's four seasons, right? We have four seasons here. But here's something about the tree. The tree every year goes through all four of those seasons. But unless the tree is blown down or destroyed or cut down, the tree does not leave when the seasons change. And let me tell you, come on, come on. So, so when the preacher says something or somebody in the church says something to offend you, you might be hurt, don't want that to happen. You might get shaken and you might lose a few leaves. But a tree doesn't uproot itself and walk back out and try to find another place. When you are committed, you put the roots down. And you say, you know what? I might, I might not have any leaves right now. I might look like it is cold and blistery. And I don't know. It seems like this is the worst winter ever that I'm having to endure. But I know this. I've been doing this long enough. I've been in this house long enough to know spring is coming. Summer's coming. And all of a sudden, people ain't going to look at this situation like it used to. But you got to decide to put roots down. If it's not this house, find the house that it is. I'd love for it to be this house. But my heart for you is, is, is greater than you being another number in this house. I want you to find a place to call home and put some roots down. And say, you know what? I'm going to grow. I'm going to bloom where I've been planted. And I'm going to do life with my people. You receive it?